Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. If you're listening to this highly niche podcast, you are most likely a language specialist. Yet much of our role is deeply entwined with our homeroom teacher or our content teacher. That's why I've invited John Cox of Ready, Set, Co-Teach, an elementary school homeroom teacher to share what it's like from a homeroom teacher's perspective to partner with a language specialist. This episode will be great to share with an administrator who is considering creating co-teaching teams that include the language specialist. It's also great for homeroom content teachers who might be interested in collaborating on behalf of language learners. Now, on to today's podcast. With us today is one of the three members of Ready, Set, Co-Teach. Today we have second grade teacher John Cox who will be talking about his experience co-teaching and we've heard them before or you will hear them together but in this particular podcast I'm just going to have a homeroom teacher share what it's like to from their perspective what it's like uh, to be a co-teacher in a relationship like this. So John would you introduce yourself and just give a little context of your teaching experience? Context. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, and again, thank you for having me. I'm I'm finding that I actually really this is our second time talking, and I find that I was really looking forward to this. Um, so uh, I am a second grade classroom teacher um, responsible for teaching um, the entire general curriculum: uh, math, science, social studies, and uh, English language arts. And I this is my fourth year co-teaching with uh, English language learners. Previously, um, this is my seventh year teaching. So previously, I had gotten my master's in special ed. And when I got my master's in special ed, one of my uh, student teaching placements was actually in a co-teaching setting. It was in a middle school and I got to see how that, that functioned in a middle school setting. And I actually really worked with an exemplar co-teaching team at that time. And so for me, I co-teaching was always something that I respected and saw done well. And that when the opportunity arose and Allison uh, Caudill, my co-teacher, uh, approached me with the idea that it was an easy yes for me because it was something that I, I saw done well. I saw the way the students responded and um, yeah, yeah. And from there, it just, obviously it's taken off and it's just changed who I am as a teacher. Love it. So John is an American teacher. He works in North Carolina as well. That's to let people know. And I really appreciate you talking about how you were receptive to co-teaching already, because it seems like our field is moving towards that. I remember when I was in high school, all the way from elementary school to high school, I don't really remember teachers co-teaching. I remember there were assistant teachers or teaching aides. Mm -hmm. 
and they were working together. I guess that is co-teaching. Uh, but I don't remember in middle school or high school, we would have teachers together at the, in the same classroom working. And so yeah. we model, we teach the way we've been taught. And so when I thought about co-teaching, I, I was very, I also was new to it, but the way you talked about it, it, it seems like the younger generation is like, yes, we're ready to embrace it. Yes. I, uh, even back in high school, seeing it, it the, the parody for me wasn't there. You didn't, when I think about like, when I had two teachers in the room, it was a teacher and an aide, which yes, they are teaching and working together, yes. but that pit, that true parody between the co-teachers wasn't there at all. Right. Right. The, the equality. Yes. Uh, yeah. the, the, the equity in, in their relationships wasn't really there. Cause we mm -hmm. always knew, okay, you're the main teacher and you're the teaching aide. <laughs> you're the one coming into this room for this one period and then you leave when we leave. Yes, exactly. That's it's very different. Yeah. yeah. So what is it like for you to be a co-teacher from the homeroom perspective side? So um, <laughs> I think part of the question should be what is it like co-teaching with Alison Cottle? Because <laughs> I, that's that's she is a phenomenal teacher and she is a whirlwind of energy. Yes, she, she comes is. In. Yes. And so it's, it's it transformative for that, for that part of the day. It is, we're all strapping ourselves in for a ride and we all go on the ride. And my energy level as a teacher, I'm also an extremely high energy, loud teacher. And so the, the energy in the classroom rises to me what we bring to it. And that's that's us as a co-teaching team, and that's how we function. So that for that part of the day, we're firing on all cylinders uh, every single day. And um, what works great for me is that the students really look forward to that part of the time, yep. that that part of the day. And if she's not there, and if he's not, you know, he's not coming in, the students expect her to be there. She is a routine in our day. Her arrival and our our lessons together is normalcy for them, and so that when there's a, whenever there's a part of the day that she's not there or she has an emergency meeting to take care of, it's it's a disappointment, it's a letdown, and I have to shore the kids up and say, nope, okay, we're moving. She has expectations; she wants to see us get this done, and so we're gonna have to report back to her tomorrow, and we're gonna get going from there. And so there is, it elevates my instruction. It absolutely does during reading. Um, having that person and having that energy brought in. Um, and yeah, yeah, it absolutely enhances it for me. Yeah, it's one of the best professional developments out there, professional learning out there. It's job embedded learning where you get to see how another person teaches. Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess I'm speaking for content teachers. You get to see how language is taught. Like you don't have to okay. go through the training. You don't have to go through the university to get, to get this experience. You see a teacher who's really an expert in this. And you sit back and you watch, oh, is that how they teach writing? Oh, is that how they teach reading? And mm -hmm. then you could get to apply it as well. Yeah, I and I will throw content teachers under the bus with this. Um, before co-teaching with Allison, I didn't know what a language objective was. Yeah. I was never taught what a language objective was. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the different tiers of vocabulary. I didn't have that strong of a knowledge in it. And at my core, I am a math teacher. I love teaching math. Math is the language that I speak and I I can personally on my own elevate my math lessons extremely well. I can 
I've always had good math talk, but seeing Allison, seeing the vocabulary strategies she brings and the language objectives that she's taught me to look for, the the, the highlighting of different key vocabulary words and, and even bringing that into my word problem instruction, and just above it all, the discourse and the discussions yes. that we've, we, we have worked to create during uh, our reading block has absolutely transferred in all of those skills and routines. The students never looked at those routines and said, oh, this is just things that we do during math. I'm sorry, things that we do during reading. It's a holistic, oh, so yes, this is my my partner that I speak to during this time, or this is how I respond to those types of questions just throughout the day. Oh, I have a sentence frame. Oh, I have a conversation norms that I should be agreeing and disagreeing or adding on. Um, we have our students using hand gestures and um, you know signals whenever they're agreeing or disagreeing or having a question for what another student is saying. Um, and they are free to use those during the math block just like they are during the reading block, just like they are during our, our phonics uh, foundational block, just like they are during whenever we're talking about science. If um, And we also have one of the things that I think that we've done extremely well in this kind of taking a side step is that the two of us have worked very hard to build a classroom culture where that kind of discourse is respected. And one of the ways that we do that is at our students actually uh, give each other micro affirmations. Whenever a child is uh, giving, uh, responding to a question or has responded to a question or is taking some wait time in their own responses, other members of the class are encouraged to shout out You've got this, Genesis. You've uh, you can go, Jefferson. Uh, take your time. You know, uh, I have a Star Wars themed classroom, so even one of the ones the kids may shout out sometimes is "Use the Force." Yeah. So things like that. <laughs> Whenever one student shouts out, you yeah. know, "You've got this, Joseph." The rest of the class then jumps in and repeats that affirmation back to that child. And these routines that were developed by Alfred and I during reading extends out. Right. I always, I always look at teaching and learning holistically. I, I, I look at it, you know, not just one slice and segment, you know, what is this one? You have to obviously break it down in your lessons. What standard am I teaching today and, and go from there? But I always look at it holistically. How is this objective impacting the whole child, the whole day, the whole education? Because at second grade, what are they going to remember most? They're, they're going to remember their productive struggles and their classmates supporting them. Yeah, their relationships with you and the other classmates. They remember that. Right? Yeah, and and that relationship for me, co-teaching, teaching, student relation, it, it all comes back to that word relationships. Yeah. Everything in, in teaching comes back. And with, when you talk about relationship, you, there is a professional relationship. And mm -hmm. to, to have a professional relationship, we need to have time for a professional discourse. And that's what you were talking about when your practice changes and evolves and develops alongside Allison, because you're sitting there co-constructing knowledge, agreeing on how to do this, sharing ideas. And as you share ideas, you implement the practices. As you implement the practices, your mindset starts to change and your beliefs starts to change. And then when your beliefs start to change, your practices then therefore change as well. And that's what you're talking about. This is why we recommend teachers to co-teach and collaborate and co-plan because the sustained collaboration throughout the year from August to June really develops you as a professional because someone is there continually having discussions with you about your teaching and your practice and 
the effect it has on student achievement. Oh, agreed, agreed. I am, I could stop teaching with Allison today mm -hmm. and I would be a stronger language teacher or a stronger teacher in general. I don't even wanna just focus primarily on language. I'd be a stronger teacher in general today than I ever was in the years before I started co-teaching. It just easily, it's, it's forced me to refine my habits in ways that I, I didn't fully even realize. You know, and having another reflective practitioner in the room, there are times, and in, of course, in a non-judgmental way, pointing out things that I didn't realize I was doing or um, ways that students were, were leaning in or leaning out to my instruction that I've never paid attention. You know, we as instructors are so, teaching is such an isolated profession yes. too often, I yes. feel like. And you don't, you don't have, you can reflect, but until you, I, I reflect what best as a, as a person, as an individual, when I'm talking through things with someone. Yes. So to have someone bring that, that idea to me or bring something that I've done or even just develop co-developing or co-planning that, that reflection is embedded in that process for us. Yeah. And you're talking about, we, this, this course is important because it leads to reflecting. Yes. And that's what you're yes. really saying at the core of it. We're reflecting on our practice. We're reflecting on what we did, how it infected student learning. And we have someone to, to have that discussion with, that reflection with. And that's why that's really mm -hmm. powerful. What right. does, what do you think, when you think about co-teaching, how do you organize your work with Allison from a, from a homeroom teacher perspective? So, so when it comes, it starts it with co-planning. Yes. I, I, it, it all starts with co-planning. Yes. Um, and I, this is my fourth year working with Allison. And it's it's interesting because in those four years, I could almost split that time in half. Yes. And in our context, in, in, in any co-teaching relationship, you have, you have to focus on your context of your co-teaching and how, it's, how is it going to be effective for your students. Um, the first two years we were co-teaching with without a scripted curriculum. So those first two years that we were doing, it was really us focusing and chewing through a lot of data, a lot of standardized tests, a lot of benchmarking tests, yeah. and understanding where our students were, yeah. looking at the holistic curriculum and deciding where we needed to, to teach and where we needed to supplement. The second two years, our school was given a scripted curriculum. And after, a, neither of us was 100% happy with that decision. And I, I do understand a lot of the perks of this particular curriculum, and I do understand where it came from and the research behind it, and I approached it with some buy-in, and we both have found things that we loved. But now it is the struggle has been, how are we making this curriculum ours? Yes. And how, when are we finding time for that differentiation, that digging deeper that we need for our students? Right. And so the, the, the process in which we co-taught has actually radically changed in these last few years than what it used to look like. That whole planning process is completely different. Even though our planning form is still the same, the discussions, the dialogues <laughs> during our planning time is radically different. I really appreciated how you talked about when I said, what does co-teaching look like to you? And you started to say at first, co-planning. And that really yep. is the root. And I always say the the roots of effective co-teaching is rooted in intentional co-planning. And so what does co-planning look like? How do you get into it? Like, what are your questions? Sorry, let me start over. <laughs> I'm learning to work with one question at a time. 
Tell me about <laughs> what does co-planning look like when you work together? So as we have evolved as teachers, our co-planning has evolved. That first year that we started working together, um, Allison and I did not have provided time in our daily schedule for co-planning. So co-planning for us looked like us on a Sunday at a coffee shop, digging through the curriculum. We, so so we in co-planning, you have to own where each person is coming from. Yes. Allison is a, a master at teaching language, um, but I had the background on the content. So it was us uh, talking about the curriculum. She would do her legwork ahead of time going through reading the curriculum, reading the standards, understanding what it is that we are going to be teaching. But then going through and talking about, spending time talking about the materials, Allison would have an idea. If I had experience with the idea, you know, this is how it's worked for me in the past. Oh, I know a teacher who did this, or I think that strategy would be good for this part of the curriculum, things like that. And so for us, it was a much more learning each other as professionals and that, that, that planning time really was also a get to know you kind of time for us. Yes. Those planning sessions, especially on a Sunday where there were a lot less, um, you didn't just have a 40 minute planning block. We were able to have that ebb and flow of ideas and reflect reflection on the ideas during that planning time. Thankfully now, as we've, we've, been successful and our principal has fully bought into our, our co-teaching process she's given us embedded time yes. so allison allison meets with my professional learning community uh on mondays and then she and i have a uh in about an hour and a half planning together on thursdays and that thursday we're bringing our conversations from our plc into our co-planning together and at this point, the relationship is so is so well formed that we just quickly go into the lesson planning process of reflecting on okay, what what are we working on? What's the objectives for this lesson? How are we getting this done? What's the assessment that's going to be for this unit? How are we going to do that? How are we going to build an ownership of it? And for us, it's also now we're coming at these scripted lessons almost like an editor with scissors, glue, and and a garbage can. You know, there, there are parts that we need to, to cut out of the curriculum and throw out. There's parts that we need to amplify or scaffold up to where it is. And there's sometimes that we need to to really take a look at and say, how can we make this us? Because I don't, I, I don't, this, this lesson doesn't speak to me. How can we make it so it feels like it, this is Mr. Cox and Ms. Caldwell teaching this lesson. You said two things. One of the things you said was high impact co-planning. And high income co-planning is not talking about, let's plan on that graphic organizer. Let's plan over that graphic over an organizer that's going to be used only once. Let's, mm -hmm. instead of that, let's, because she's not going to see you again to plan for another Thursday, right? And so instead we say, when I could play with my teachers, I say, I meet on Thursday with them as well. One of the teacher, one of the teachers that I work with, and I say, what do you want done by Friday? And so, and then she says, oh, okay. She always identifies the product. And from the product, I say, okay, so what is the content objective that you want from this? Like, should, by, mm -hmm. produce, by producing this product, what are kids demonstrating in mastery of the content or the skill? And from there, I figure out, oh, okay, here's the language objective. To do that content objective, kids have to do this language objective. When I co-teach, 
if we have time to co-plan, co I identify what I'm going to do, who's going to teach it, and that really has helped the, the co-teaching. Yeah. I, I, my answer always goes to specifically how Allison and I do it. But for us, planning really comes in three stages. Mm -hmm. um, we actually just did a webinar on this last week. Um, and one of the things I think people tend to forget, and if you are a language teacher coming into a classroom, I think this first step is really important for you. But there's a, a level of pre-planning. And because when you only have a certain amount of time allotted with yep. a teacher, you need to come in with some background familiarity with that curriculum. Then we sit down and then there is the, the reflective co-planning between the two of us, that dialogue, that discourse, like you said, between the two of us and really honing in on how do we want students to achieve these objectives. And after that, there's, there's a stage of post-planning where, and I am so guilty about dotting writing the post planning during planning but that is when you get the copies done that is when you build the powerpoints when you you know you have to color code the the sentence frames as i right. love to do right. that i am i am a i am my father's son and if i i don't like leaving things half finished but that post planning planning doesn't occur <laughs> while while i'm trying to make copies or staple things or cut things out right those are the logistics Yes, teaching, yes. right? Yes, logistics have to happen after. And right. that is that as a reflective pra practitioner, that is something I need to work on because I love to just have everything done and then move on to the next thing. But you need to honor and respect the time that you are working with your co-teacher and not jump into to the yeah, logistics. What I really appreciate about what you talked about is being intentional with your co-planning time. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is, yes, we can spend our time doing the small things of color coding the sentences or photocopying the things, that should really be done during our prep time, our personal yes. prep time. But our whole planning time is really looking at what's the content that needs to be taught? What's the process that students are gonna be learned? Or, or what's the process that the students are going through to learn it? And then what's the product students have to produce at the end? That's Tomlinson's mm -hmm. differentiation model, but I use it as a way to structure my co-planning time. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Thanks. And the one one of the things that we do is we we're huge fans of uh, Andrea Honigsfeld and Maria Dove, and so we we really subscribe to her uh, six co-teaching frameworks that we use. Um, we decide when it's the end of our our planning time together. Whenever whenever we're wrapping up, that is where we actually decide on which framework. Yes. We we don't go into it being like, hey, you know, it's been a while since we've done parallel teaching. Yes. Let's split the clap. You, you know, you take, you take half, I take half. We plan the lesson first. And at the end, if we feel like, for instance, that we've got a lot to get through and it's a little bit of a disjointed lesson, okay, then we'll jump into parallel teaching. But if we feel like that, no, we need to keep our, because Alice and I, again, our, our energy together and when we team teach, it's just through the roof. We want to fly through it together, then we'll team teach, you know. That for us, that's always, always our last step. And yes. I, we we encourage teachers as well to to wait until the end yes. of your planning process yes. because it's all too easy. I feel to to fall into one or two styles of co-teaching, one or two frame frameworks of co-teaching, and never push yourself out. And is that what's best for our students? Don't think so. Yeah, you're talking about saying we identify what we need to have students learn first. And then we figure out 
which model of co-teaching would get us there. Yeah. Agreed. And that's, Agreed. it's not, say, you're, you're not saying, oh, hey, we'd start with the models first and then the content. It's, it's mm -hmm. really starting that the other way around. It's funny, during our planning process, we actually use these these frameworks, the, the names for them, almost as verbs. <laughs> well, maybe we should alternative it. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, that's just the, after years of us working together and with our comfort level with co-teaching, the, the framework is almost a verb. Like, this is how we are going to tackle this. You know, that. So what, does that, so what does that mean? Like, you would say, oh, let's parallel teach. So parallel teaching for us is, um, and, and again, we, we we're, we're taking these from Andrea Honigsfeld and Maria Dove's work. Um, but parallel teaching is we are splitting the classroom in half. They are uh, random. So we use a mix of grouping styles in our classroom. We use purposeful pair groupings, and then we sometimes just use random groupings. So when we're parallel teaching, we're looking for a uh, heterogeneous grouping where we have different ability levels in each group. Um, parallel teaching for us is we are both teaching the lesson or elements of the lesson at, simultaneously at the same time, but separately in different parts of the classroom or even different parts of the school. Um, one of the best things about working with a teacher as flexible as uh, Ms. Cottle is that there are times that I can just, she's completely okay with me taking half the class out in the hallway and I'll teach half the class out in the hallway if that if that's going to allow us to get through the lesson smoothly and effectively. We tend to use this framework um, <clears throat> when we have really, seg when the lesson has a lot to get through, there's a really big reading chunk and there's, or there's a really big writing chunk or we're reading two texts simultaneously that we may need to compare and contrast later um actually this was if we were in school right now we were not out for the coronavirus there were we would be entering a uh, unit on fables fairy tales and folk tales and it's a frequent style for us in this unit as we're tackling different fairy tales or folk tales together i would be the the teacher where you read uh, actually i have a copy of them right here because I'm planning like the ant and the grasshopper. You'd be reading the ant and the grasshopper with me, and when they go with uh, Miss Connell at the front, they would be reading uh, the lizard and uh, the lizard in the throne with her. And so then, when we come back together as a class, each teacher would then, in our almost narrative to the class, she and I have already planned out that I would be posing thoughts from my text. She would be posing thoughts from her text. It's the student's responsibility to connect those two together. Mm -hmm. So in your parallel teaching, you have two different groups, but she, mm -hmm. Allison doesn't just have the language learners and you don't no. just have the non-language. It's just really everybody. And so this is what it means to have equity. We're talking about the difference between teaching aids and uh, full, full-time teaching professionals where, okay, they're not just an aide in there. They're in their room to do, to, to, desi to design instruction and to provide, uh, to guide instruction. Mm -hmm. I, one of my non-negotiables as, and it's interesting as a classroom teacher for me to have been the one to really push this into our co-teaching dynamic. But again, I draw, drew from my experience with the special ed successful setting is that if uh, anyone was to walk into our classroom, they should not be able to pick out which one of us is which. Yes. That, that, that level of we are both equally 
identified in, um, viewed in our students. Let me phrase that again. We are both co-owners of our instruction. Yes. We're both co-owners of every lesson that is being delivered. And the language learners in our classroom are just as much my responsibility as they, as they are hers. And even our um, academically gifted students or special ed students or students that are at the cusp of achieving their goals, all of them are also Allison's responsibility just as much as they are mine. The entire class is both of our responsibilities. And so there are times that those groupings are truly random. We don't pick them just so that way, you know, she can have that group of blindness learners, at least when we're parallel teaching. There are times that we alternative teach. And for that framework, that is when we are going into a really dense, um, another, again, I've been planning. So I have all these books right here on the table with me. So in this, this book, uh, The Little Hummingbird, it is, um, it's a bit of a denser text. And so for something like this, um, Allison will take a smaller group. And I think I, I, I'm always a little wary of alternative teaching because it shouldn't just be Allison taking a smaller group of language learners and delivering the instruction. It very easily and a number of times, it's actually me taking that group of language learners and she's delivering. So I'll have a group of six or seven students and she will have the remaining 15 students one small group then the rest of the class that smaller group is getting a lot of the scaffolds that bring them up to allow them to accept to access that text right. and the other teachers responsible for continuing the the whole group of instruction right. yes. for the assessment for that lesson right the 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 goal of that is to never completely remove students from the academic work that yes. the goal for us whenever we are using that co-teaching style is to lower their effective filter to to access whatever text it is that we're working on that's where really where we tend to use that and of course you we have language learners who need support in uh we have some newcomers in our classroom this year and those we have two of them in particular and they do need some some support when it comes time for for their writing and of course we we, we take time to support them but that's not i don't consider that to be the the what i call alternative teaching that's just more supporting your students right the best way so we talked about uh alternative teaching or reinforced teaching and then parallel teaching there are two two others there's mm -hmm. lead support and that looks like one teacher in the uh, leading the instruction and that is whoever who the person leading instruction is the expert in that part of the instruction so it might be allison it might be you uh and whoever is not teach leading the instruction is still supporting and the support can look like this they can chart what's being said they can um walk around and support kids mm -hmm. and they can wait for opportunities to say okay this is now let me let me add this point and that's and that's where, really where we've pushed ourselves and challenged ourselves. I, I tease my co-teacher all the time. She's doesn't feel comfortable in math as an adult. She she she's not a huge math fan. Um, <laughs> act season is stressful. Those kind of things. Me too. Um, yeah, yeah. But I always joke with her that I it would make my co-teaching year if I could get her to come and co-teach with me during math <laughs> because that's. <clears throat> that we have encouraged ourselves and we pushed ourselves out of our comfort zone. And so there's no, there's no reason why when we're introducing, if we're looking at a text about 
fossils and fossilization, those really strong scientific words, there's, there's that tier three vocabulary. There's no reason why I can't introduce that. And if I wasn't co-teaching, it would still be my responsibility to introduce those vocabulary words anyway. So why would I lean out of that process as a classroom teacher? Exactly. You're, so I guess what we're trying to say is the person who is the expert in that area teaches that during lead support. And that if you're in, because you're the math, you really love math and you would lead that part. But then when Allison needs to come in to support with the word problem, she would be there. She would be the expert in saying, this is how we think about looking at a word problem. The other two are team teaching. And that looks oh. like what people are thinking about normally, where it's uh, two teachers in front of the class, kid, everyone is, all the kids are there at the same time. And then they're, they're just taking turns back and forth and bouncing ideas back and forth and leading instruction at the same time. And that's what people think about mainly with co-teaching, but there, are, as we just started talking about, there are so many different other forms. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I will say, I mean, team teaching is our favorite framework for a reason, that, that level of modeling discourse together as teachers and or even just modeling questioning strategies is so powerful and so impactful. And um, But again, we going back to what I said during the planning process, you have to think about what's best for the lesson. And if, if we if we didn't do that, we would find ourselves team teaching every lesson every day. And exactly, exactly. The quote that I share to help teachers think about uh, not just trying to team teach all the time, I, I tell them that co-teaching is not the place in the room, it's what we do when you're in the room. So it might be parallel teaching. It might be uh, reinforced teaching. It might be station teaching. It might be cir uh, circuit teaching. And that's the last one. And circuit teaching is when mm -hmm. kids are in small little different groups and everyone, the teachers, the teachers are walking around supporting whoever needs that support. And that's just, they're making the circuit. They're going around the class. Absolutely. And I, to anyone who's listening, who's, who's paying attention to this, I, I do want to encourage you to, tackle more than one of these frameworks in a lesson. You don't need to just say one one framework for one lesson. You may find yourself, and we frequently will, within uh, an hour and a half block, we will jump between that circuit teaching to team teaching to then maybe a version of alternative, or actually it would probably be more like we would do, depending on the lesson, for, for what I'm imagining, for the text that I have here with me, we, we would do start with some alternative teaching, come back to team teaching, give them their task, their assignment, and then it would become circuit teaching where we're walking around monitoring and working with different groups. And again, you as teachers, you then talk about your grouping strategies. How do we want to purposely build these groups or do we want to randomly see how they, they work together? And that's and those are all part of that planning process. And I'm going back, coach teaching happens best when you have that planning time and you have that ownership of every element of your lesson. Right, right. There's no reason why you should just be beholden. If you check the box in our co-teaching planning form, we have boxes that we check of which framework we're using. If we click that box for team teaching, that does not mean that it's just team teaching that entire time and we are beholden to it. Right. And there's also no reason why as co-teachers in the middle of the lesson, we can just say, mm, maybe we need to split this up. And the two of us just saying, okay, we'll take this group and we'll take that group and go from there. Yes. And that's why we, we say, Co-teaching is not just being in front of the room at the same time, doing the same thing. It really, co-teaching is two teachers agreeing on how to support kids. And that can be in small groups, that can be at the same group, that could be 
in the front of the class at the same time, there can be stations, is co-teaching is just really responsive to the moment, the need of the kids at the same at that particular moment. Something that I love that you just said was co-teachers agree. And it all comes back to me again to relationships. You knowing your co-teacher, knowing their strengths, knowing your own strengths, owning those strengths, and then deciding together how are we going to achieve those objectives? And and that agreement piece is such an, an important thing. And as a classroom teacher, the perspective I bring bring in, not a majority of the day, that is my room with my students. And if I came at co-teaching with that uh, mindset, I would not be responsive to everything that Allison's bringing. And that that you you can't approach co-teaching under that mindset. You need to be open to to that flexibility of listening to someone else's ideas, listening to what they bring to the table, and using it to elevate your instruction. Well, how does a teacher get there at that level, at that level of mindset? It's interesting because that is one of the number one questions that we get during any professional development that we do. <clears throat> there are language instructors across this world would love to jump into co-teaching and have a hard time getting classrooms into board. For me, what it comes back to the most, and actually the context in which Allison and I talked together was that there was a year, and we previously shared this on the last podcast, but I'll briefly just go over it again. Um, when the first year I was in second grade, I had a um, a number of language learners in my classroom that were reading on very, very foundational reading levels. And I don't feel like I did my best job teaching them. And with Allison's language support, she was coming into the classroom to work with them during my math block. And we're both big personalities and ended up distracting both groups because we're both loud and <laughs> students would, would have a hard time listening. But at the end of the year, when we sat down and looked at our data, we weren't effective in, in bridging that gap at all. And you want to get classroom teachers on board, that's where it starts, is looking at where your students are, looking at their needs and saying, what is the best way that I can bridge this gap? Above, uh, the, our next recommendation, again, comes back to relationships. Sometimes uh, language teachers or special ed teachers may wanna jump in and say, I wanna co-teach, I wanna co-teach, I serve these three grade levels, I wanna co-teach in each of these grade levels. Um, biggest recommendation in the world is to not do that, is to start small. Um, the fact that Allison and I co-taught for a year together before Ashley joined in and started co-teaching with Allison, Ashley had seen all of the successes that had happened that let that success speak for you. Don't ever feel like, don't ever pressure anyone into a co-teaching dynamic if they're not already bought into it. You need to have that dual ownership over co-teaching. Right. Right. Our district does such a great job supporting co-teachers that um, the first year that Alice and I were teaching, we went to a professional development. While there, we spoke with other co-teaching teams where their principals voluntold them to work together. They were not happy. They were not happy to be working together. They were not happy to be at that training. Whereas we were like, this is great. This is awesome. We want to learn more. How could we do this better? And then to meet that, that, that wall of toxic energy from other staff members was jarring for us. And so uh, biggest, one of the biggest recommendations we have is to identify interested parties, have that one-on-one -on -one conversation, build that relationship together, right. figure out your non-negotiables right. and build up from there. Right. 
you can still co-teach in this way. This is what I, I have a mindset. I have these questions help me. I figure out one, what is the teacher trying to teach? Let's say that we didn't have time to co-plan. It's really not effective. Co-planning is not effective, or we just don't have the relationship yet, but I have to be in a class to work with the kids to help them. What I say is, first, what is the teacher trying to teach? I figure that out. I look in the board. Mm -hmm. I, I listen to what the kids are doing. I listen to what the teachers are doing. I might even just come up and ask them if they're not teaching. And then I say, okay, I figure out what kids have to do for that assignment. And then I say, what can I do to bridge the gap between what teachers want and what kids have to do? And that is co-teaching because I figured out what the content is. I figured out the product and I figured out the process. Then I'm going to say, okay, my job is not to make the teacher work with me. My job is to figure out what I can do for the kids. Okay, there's a quote by Kwame Anthony Apia, and he said, in life, the challenge is not so much to figure out how best to play the game, the challenge is to figure out what game you're playing. And so when I co-teach, I am no longer, my, my beginning years of co-teaching was trying, the game that I was trying to play was trying to get my co-teacher to, to adopt these strategies for language learners. Now my, the game I play is, what does the language learner need to do what the teacher wants? Then I provide that. Hmm. So therefore- That's I'm, a really interesting perspective. Yeah, because I'm no longer forcing them to say, here are sentence frames. Why aren't you using them? And, and I'm not saying, no longer am I saying, oh, you're talking to them before 45 minutes. Why are you doing that? And I say, <laughs> oh, okay, the, the teacher wants to, the kids to listen for 45 minutes. What can I do to make the content more comprehensible? That is co-teaching for me. Mm -hmm. Even if, if they're not willing to work together so far. Because we're creating right. the conditions. And the creating conditions means uh, not being, not pushing when they're not ready. That's true. And I have found professionally one of the biggest barriers to co-teaching is professional pride. Yes. When you have people yes. who, who are not receptive, it is truly because they think that you have to be open to receive what co-teaching can offer. The, yes. the, the, what you had mentioned about co-teaching being an integrated professional development. A lot of people don't realize that because a lot of people truly feel like as professionals, they are the best they can be on their own. And that is one of, in my opinion, the most damaging mindsets to our entire profession. Yes, yes. Well, John, you, you talked about it. So many things. We really talked about the models of co-teaching here, but you're really talking about the, the, it, the mindset and the emotional readiness of homeroom and content teachers to be ready to work with their language specialists. And, and you talked about how important co-planning is. And I think, I wish that all teachers are like you, you have a res, uh, receptive nature where you're so willing and that what that, I guess that's the takeaway for here where we say, find your John. <laughs> find your John Cox who's saying, yes, I'm ready. Yes, I'm willing and invest there. I, my, my, my barrier was that I was actually being judged every time mm. that Allison came yes. into my room. So, so you need to get to know who your co-teacher was, uh, who your co-teacher is or will be, and you need to figure out how are we going to climb those barriers together. How did Allison get help? How did you get over that feeling of being evaluated by Allison? Um, the the kind of unconditional positive regard that 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 framework of no matter what, assume positive intent. That 
if something's happening, we are doing it because it's what's best for our students. Yes. And it just, it took a couple months of building that relationship and friendship together. Co-teaching changed my life, point blank. At that, that, that time, yeah, it's throughout, over the last four years, I'm a vastly different person, professional, you know, son, brother, boyfriend now than I ever was before. Why is that? And by the way, that's going to be the title of this podcast. Co-teaching changed my life. And in co-teaching, I was taught to own my own strengths. And I was, sorry, getting a little emotional talking about it. I was taught to own my own strengths and I was taught to own my own voice. And I was taught that I was valued. Yes. I was valued by Alice and my yes. contributions were yes. valued. And it transformed where I kind of came from. Right? Yeah, right. And it, and the success that we found co-teaching is has been affirming to me as a professional. Right. So it, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that was really Sorry. that was really touching that you got emotional and you got Terry because you could I could tell in your response in your in your testimony that you really have been moved and transformed from this experience, and that's what we're looking for. For we're hoping for teachers to know that yeah, co-teaching is and teacher collaboration is really great for kids. But it's also a transformative experience for you because I think Allison did a wonderful job in helping in doing one thing. She moved you from being defensive and scared of being evaluated. And she made you feel, oh, I see you. I see you for who you are as a person who has skills, who can add really to this collaboration. And then mm -hmm. because she made, she said, I see you, she made you, she made, she made you feel that you are seen in a positive light, you were willing to work with her. And that really Absolutely. is your message. And that's really is our job as language specialists to say, hey, I see you, let's work together. I mean, co-teaching really, if you open yourself up to it, is the most powerful thing in teaching. Well, John, this is gonna be a great, I know listeners are gonna really love this episode and there's so many things that they can take away from it. Every time they talk to, I'm sure they interact with you, Allison or Ashley, they get a lot. I know mm -hmm. I sure do. So thank you for. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having us. Yes. The, are we going to do the stoplight? Yes. I have not forgotten. Yes. Okay. So now that I you're have... by yourself, what would be your red light? Something you want to stop? Ask teachers to stop doing. Yellow light. What is something you ask teachers to stop, slow down and start considering? And green light. What is something you ask teachers to do as much as possible? And it doesn't have to be about teacher collaboration. So, um, totally should have spent more time thinking about this. I feel like, um, I'm going to, to frame these under um, context. And uh, again, to me, the most important word in teaching is that relationship uh, above all. Um, so stop doing. Uh, I shared on the previous uh, episode that I was on a, a story about a child that came up to me and asked why I had, why I seemed so angry. So if there's, if there's one thing I would, I would encourage teachers to stop doing it would be to 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 stop always letting teaching be your entire life yes to 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 look at yourself holistically and realize yeah. that you are a better teacher when you take care of yourself yes and one of my biggest flaws i think as a teacher is when i allow the little things, the little stresses and the, the agitations to, to pile themselves on my back. And when that does, it brings my shoulders down. It, it 
it throws my brow and I tend to feel more grumpy. And I, and, and if I were truly reflect on why that child probably said it to me, it was because I was having a rough day yeah. and it was because I was stressed out and you, you just gotta let it slide off. So there's my response to that. And there's my follow up on that previous stuff. <laughs> and you're yellow? Um, yes, yeah, yellow. One thing to stop and consider. Right now, we are in the context of the coronavirus. Yes. And uh, having people locked down and people working at home. And I know I recognize that this is not going to air during that time. But one thing I would encourage teachers to stop and think is about how much homework they're doing. Mm. And in the context of this coronavirus, the, the reason why this is on my mind is, again, going back to that relationship, how are you uh, working to help foster your students' relationships with their family members at home? Mm. How, are you, how are you fostering that relationship with your families at home? If you are assigning, I'm speaking from personal experience, I know of a uh, third grader right now who is getting five hours a day of schoolwork at home from their teacher. That's a lot. That is a lot. That is Without support. And in, in, in what it's done is <clears throat> during this time where we should be worried and safe about, you know, everything going on with this virus, it's actually developed a negative relationship between the parent and the teacher. And, wow. it's, and I, don't, I don't fully blame the teacher because it's actually a building requirement that at an elementary age that they are getting that much homework. Kindergartners getting at least four hours a day of work. At, I, is that is that okay? No, it's in my opinion, it's not. I agree. So, there's actually research that says there's very little impact on the elementary school kids. There are some mm -hmm. in middle school and more so in high school, but there's very little impact from assigned homework at home. And you can right. Google the you can Google the research about that. If you do anything, get kids to read. That's like the yeah. most important thing you could do for kids. Yes. It's it's yeah. what do they say on Twitter? They say uh, we need Maslow before we can bloom. <laughs> I love that. Right. I love. I haven't seen that tweet. It's but not I'm mine. But people, it. it goes around. It's like we need Maslow. We need to take care of kids' emotional needs first, their readiness, lower that effect, mm -hmm. effective filter, like Krashen said, and then kids will be cognitively ready to learn. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. our job. Yeah. Okay. Oh, the green. What was the the green again? The green was something that we should go for, as much as we possible. Should go for. From teaching, I, I I just I bring it full circle. I, I just give it a shot, even if it's not, even if it's not co-teaching with a language specialist or a uh, special ed teacher. There are so many opportunities in our school day where, as a classroom teacher, you should join classrooms with another classroom teacher. Yes, and. Right. Tackle a an assignment, tackle right. a project, tackle you know something together. Right. Why not? Why right. not have that energy where you feed off of each other's energy and bounce right. ideas off right. of each other? You could you <clears throat> that parallel teaching style of so working with another teacher from your grade level. There's no reason why when you're you're looking at a lesson where you're having to read the the ant, the grasshopper and the lizard and the sun, there's no reason why you can't do that with another teacher on your grade level. Yes. There's no reason why you can't split your own classes together, maybe even take it a step further. Maybe this time you guys build some homogenous groupings with similar ability styles and then structure your lesson together that way. Even if you're working with 50, 60 kids, it's still very much possible to right. get that done. Right. And you, teaching. 
Good. doesn't always have to be this big formalized right. mountain that's stressful. It is so easily accessible. Right. And I don't think a lot of people realize right. it's just re It's just responsive teaching. It's saying, what do mm -hmm. kids need? What can we do together? That is co-teaching, right? Agreed. And that starts Agreed. with co-planning. So if teachers are not able to co-teach yet, like you, you said, like just go co-teach. If you can't do that, go to co-planning first. And then you will mm -hmm. see, you will see opportunities. You will see doors opening to say, Hey, that was a really great idea. Oh, thanks. Do you want me to lead that? Do you want to lead that? If we, if, would you, can I come to your class to do that? That's how mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah. Agree. Well, John, Agreed. this is great. Thank you again for spending your, your time with us, sharing your time with us and your wisdom. You're a young teacher, but you are full of wisdom. You thank know you. your thank thing. You. What? I know. I said, thank you. I really, uh, I appreciate that. I, I have a lot of fun coming on this. Um, it, it is, it is, a delight talking to you. I, I, I could keep going for another hour. I really oh, could. Goodness. And you got emotion. And it was like, yes, we need. Yeah. So my, my, my motto for you is find your John. <laughs> find your John and work. Because that's, it can be a model for everyone else. So thank you for being our John. Yeah, not a problem. I'm glad I could do it. Always be your most authentic self, even when you're co-teaching. Yes. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. From the onset of the conversation, John said that he is a better teacher for having worked with Allison. He is also applying some of the language strategies in other areas of his instruction. This highlights the transformational power of teacher collaboration as an ongoing job embedded year long professional learning opportunity. John also talked about intentional co-planning. He sectioned co-planning into thirds, pre, during, and post. He recommended that we draft our ideas during the pre-planning, leave the logistical work for the post-planning, and preserve the curriculum planning to face-to-face -face scheduled meetings. That's actually what I do with my co-teachers. I'll sit down with my co-teacher and I'll say, what is the goal by next Friday? So that's our big picture. I learn about the goal, we break it down into small day-by-day -day task. Then I go during my own prep time and then I plan the logistical part, the little graphics, the materials, the presentation, finding the videos, finding the resources so that I can give it to my co-teacher. That's how you should spend your time, not designing together at the same time how a graphic organizer should look or how a presentation should look. Sometimes we should do that, designing graphic organizers together if it's really important, like maybe for a summative assessment, yes. But sometimes all they need for us to do is take the ideas, put them into a graphic organizer during our own planning time, and then return to the next planning meeting saying, here, this is done. In this way, 
we maximize our co-planning time. In the conversation, we also talked about the six models of co-teaching shared by Dr. Andrew Huggensfeld and Dr. Maria Dove. The key about these models is matching the learning objective with the model that best helps students reach the learning outcome. Don't start with the co-teaching model. Start with the need. Start with the learning objective. Our job is to nurture and invest in the teachers who are interested, just like John. I hope you all find your John. In the next episode, we'll have Ashley Blakely, the last homeroom teacher in the Ready, Set, Co-Teaching team, join us to share about co-reflecting. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Never do.